We've been through uh, a couple studies in the book of Proverbs. The first week we looked at uh, what Proverbs is all about, and we, we understood what it meant as far as wisdom and how we need wisdom today. Ephesians say that we live in a wicked world and, and we need to walk circumspectly. We have to be careful and understand what the will of the Lord is. And we know that the source of that wisdom is through uh, God's Word. And then we looked uh, the second week at uh, you and your tongue and how important it is to understand um, that Proverbs has a lot to say about what we say and how we say it and when we say it. And I can't tell you how practical that was for me to go through that study and prepare that message. Very convicting, and it's still convicting. And today we're going to be talking about you and your job. You and your job. I bet you if I went around, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I bet you if I said, if there's anybody here that's never, ever, ever worked in their life, please raise your hand. I don't think there would probably be a person here that hasn't, at some point in life, had some kind of a job. And uh, we're going to look today at what Proverbs has to say about you and your job. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to put a uh, finger on the pulse of America's attitude towards work. It really is, because there are a number of conflicting attitudes that we have. Um, some people hate their jobs and work only because they have to. Um, others are obsessed with their jobs and work to the exclusion of everything else. Family, friends, whatever, leisure time, everything's just about work. And that's kind of the two, two sides to it. And, it. and interestingly enough, there's people that fall into a, uh, the second category that they're obsessed with their jobs. They also hate their jobs. They just have a hard time admitting it. Or at least at the very least, they don't get a lot of fulfillment out of it. But they're just obsessed with it. The fact is that you're going to spend probably about 150,000 hours of your life working. Imagine that. That amounts between 40 and 60% of your waking hours. You're going to be at work. Some statistics. In 1973, the average American spent 40 hours a week at work. In 1987, that amount increased to an average of 46 weeks or hours per week. Today, if you're a professional and you work an average of anywhere between 52 and 60-some hours a week. If you own your own business, you probably are up in 60 to 70 range hours per week. The fact is you're going to spend more time working, commuting to work, thinking about work, than anything else you do. That's just reality, right? You spend more time at work than you do with your family. You spend more time at work than you do with your friends or in leisure or in spiritual activities. And whether we like it or not, work really dominates our life. It's just part of life, right? Well, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about what God wants us to succeed in as far as work goes. It has a lot to say. It's very practical things. And I'm just going to kind of rattle some things off here uh, quickly, but uh, we're going to be kind of going through the outline there that you have in your, your bulletin. But it actually contains a promise Concerning work, in Proverbs 16.3, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will what? Succeed. 
your plans will succeed. Proverbs also contains many warnings about laziness. Lazy hands make a man poor. It says that in 10, 4, 11, 12, 11, it says, He who chases fantasies lacks judgment. In 18, 9, it says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Well, hopefully the following thoughts will help us kind of put in perspective our job and where it should be as far as priority and our attitude about it. But for a lot of people, people have just kind of have a I-don't-care attitude toward their, their job. And as Christians, we should care very much about our job. We should care very much about our occupations or about our businesses we run or whatever. Um, but to be honest, relatively few Christians are genuinely happy with their own jobs. And unfortunately, and this is just, you know, this isn't trying to beat on anybody or anything, but unfortunately, Christians are not always known for doing quality work. It's just the way it is. So many times you go through the yellow pages, or they don't have yellow pages anymore, but, you know, you see a little fish on a Christian symbol or whatever. I've actually talked to Christian business owners that say, you know, I don't do that. I don't put the little fish. I don't do the Christian thing. I am a Christian, and I use it as a ministry or whatever my business, but I don't do all the, the Christianese because, you know what, sometimes that scares people away. <laughs> they see that, and they're like, ah, oh, Christian, they're probably going to take advantage of you, or they're going to do lazy work or whatever. And unfortunately, that's the way it's been in the world. That's how the world looks at it. But we should care very much about our jobs. And Christians aren't always known for doing what we call quality work. Do you know that in Genesis 2.15, if you turn all the way back to the book of Genesis, it says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And why did he put him there? It says to cultivate it and keep it. Do you know the very first thing that God did with his first creation, man, was to employ him? <laughs> he employed him. Apparently with a job that was an all-consuming responsibility. See, a lot of people in the church think, oh, curse is a result, or work is a result of the curse. That's why we have to work. Because it says, you know, by the sweat of your brow. Well, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says at all. God put Adam in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it to do work before the curse ever fell. The sweat upon the brow is the curse, not the work. It's very important to understand that. Work was begun in a context of innocence and was of such importance to God that it was the first assignment that he gave man. And much is made about work in the Bible. So we shouldn't make light of it. And we're going to see some very timely work-related counsel as we go through uh, several Proverbs here this morning. But the fact is, is that Proverbs basically lists six kinds of workmen. Six kinds of different workmen are identified in the book of Proverbs. Three are the wrong kind, or the bad kind, and three are the good kind, or the right kind. And we're going to give our attention to those six kinds of workers that we see in the book of Proverbs. So turn over to Proverbs 24, and just look with me. And we're going to be going through kind of a whole bunch of Proverbs, so you can, I think some of them are going to be up on the screen there, whatever you have the notes, so don't feel you have to try to keep up whatever if you can, that's great. Proverbs 20, 
4, verse 30 to 34. It talks about the first wrong kind of a worker, a sluggard. We've all heard that word, slug. You know, uh, sometimes we use it as in a joking. Hey, what are you doing, you slug? Get off the couch, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just, it's kind of a derogatory term. It's somebody who's lazy. Well, it says in Proverbs 24, verse 30, it says, I went by a field, so he's talking about a farming situation here, the field of a lazy man. And by the vineyard of the man, devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with needles, nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw it. I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Here's what he says. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Don't you just want to just kind of... That sounds good. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. See, this is the sluggard. This is, apparently this guy was a, by occupation a farmer. And he passed by this farmer's field who the farmer was a sluggard. Most farmers are not sluggards. They can't afford to be. I have a brother who's a farmer, my brother Tom. And I mean, he's farmed for years. And, I mean, he's always had held down two, three, four jobs. And, he, I mean, we're not talking, you know, little side jobs. I mean, we're talking, you know, he worked for the Ford Motor Company. He ran his farm, which was a, a, a cattle farm and then a hog farm at one point. And, you know, I mean, I, I went out there for a summer one time for, supposed to be for six weeks. I think I lasted two. I mean, talk about work. I mean, you're up, you know, the sun's not even up yet in the summer, and you're out there, and you're, you're feeding the animals, and then you've got to come back in, you eat breakfast, and then you go back out in the hot sun, and you do the hay, and you do all that stuff, and, you know, and you think just about the time, okay, now can we rest a little bit? Well, no, now we've got to go back and feed the animals again, and then we've got to go back out and cut some trees down. And, and, I mean, it's usually, you know, sun up to sun down for a farmer who knows what he's doing. They're anything but a sluggard, but this guy was. And he says, there are a little sleep, a little slumber. Look at what happens. He says, your poverty will come as a robber. See, sluggers live by phrases like this. Gee, what time is it? You know, they punch the clock and then, hey, is it time for a break yet? That's the first thing they're thinking. When's lunch? They have this clock watcher mentality. And usually they do just enough to get by. Just get it done the easiest, quickest possible way. And see, within the book of Proverbs, we find at least six characteristics of this kind of a person, a sluggard. In chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says that he has trouble getting started. Proverbs 6, verses 9 and 10, it says this is a guy that just can't get it together in the morning when he's going to work. He just can't get going. Verses 9 and 10, it says, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Then it uses the same phrase, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so your poverty will come on like a prowler. See, if you have an issue with getting, getting started, that's a pretty important issue. He's also restless. It says that in Proverbs 13.4 and over in 21. It lists different things. There's, these are people that are always, you know, they can't just sit down and focus and do the work that's before them. They're always running here and there. and They're just restless, restless people. Can't focus on a job to get it done. Thirdly, he is costly to the business. Look at what it says in 18.9. A sluggard is very costly to the business. 
18, 9, it says, He who is slothful, slothful in his work is a, bro- is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. They go hand in hand. Nobody wants somebody who is slothful or somebody who is lazy or someone who is a sluggard working for them. You want people with initiative. You want people that's ready to go. They're also defensive. They're always looking kind of to blame someone else. In 26, 16, Proverbs 26, 16, it says this, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. They're always, they always think they got the answer. They always got everything going on. In 1227 Proverbs, it says that he's a quitter. He's a quitter. Doesn't finish the job. I remember when I was growing up that we used to have my brother-in-law, after I went to college, um, when, when I was growing up and in high school, I'd always help him around the house. We had pretty big property, and so there was always grass to be cut or leaves to be raked or whatever, painting to be done or stone walls to be fixed. Just, and he was kind of from the city, Dave, so he didn't know about all this stuff. So I went and lived with them for a while and helped them. But I remember when I went away to college, they, they said, we don't know what we're going to do because you're leaving. And you were taking care of all this stuff. And so they looked to one of my nephews and they ended up hiring one of my nephews for a while and he kind of moved away and then they hired another one and, and, and it was kind of, they tapped into that resource for a while and that was good because they were hard workers. They had a good work ethic and they were always, you know, um, working hard for him. But then it got to a point where he kind of ran out of family and he had to start hiring people outside the family. And I remember him telling me, he goes, it's just hard to get somebody to do what you ask them to do. And it's not fun work. I mean, you know, you're taking a weed whacker and you're going up on a side hill, you know, like an acre, and you've got to cut it down. I mean, that's not fun work when it's, you know, 80% humidity out and it's 95 degrees, but it has to get done, and they're paying you to do it. And inevitably, he'd, he'd, he'd tell me once in a while, you know, yeah, you know, well, we went through another one. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, we just found the weed whacker up there on the side hill, and it was just left there, and he just ran home, you know, he couldn't handle it. And it's not like they're slave drivers or anything, but nobody likes a quitter. Nobody likes somebody who starts something and then just doesn't complete it. And then also, the last thing there, he lives under self-delusional excuses. Self-delusional excuses. They're always making up excuses. In 24, it says, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. (laughs) He will beg during harvest and have nothing. In other words, even though it's not winter when they're plowing, he's just saying, well, the winter's coming. They're always making up some kind of excuse not to do work. That's the sluggard. Trouble getting started, they're restless, they're costly to the business, they're often defensive, they're a quitter, and they have these self-delusional excuses that just kind of come out of nowhere. Well, Proverbs also doesn't only talk about the sluggard, but it also talks about the deceiver. Look at over at Proverbs 11.18. Proverbs eleven eighteen. Remember, these are the wrong kind of workers. If you're going through resume to hire somebody, you don't want these people working for you. Uh, Proverbs eleven eighteen says this: the wicked man does what deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. The wicked man is deceptive in his work. What does that mean? What that means is when the bosses 
out of the room, or the boss is off campus, or the boss is gone to lunch, well, all the work stops. I'm sure that we've all been in situations where that happens, you know? And it, when, you're, when, you're, when you're a person who's not given to that, you just kind of want to get the work done, and you're working with somebody like that, it's very irritating, isn't it? It's like, what are you just standing there for? You know, get something done. I remember when I was working in the picture framing business, you know, sometimes we'd have these huge orders for MC Hammer Studio or some other people's studio or whatever, or big house or whatever, and we'd have to get all the stuff done in a very short amount of time, but we still had to work our regular hours during the day because we had customers coming in, and we just couldn't get these, these uh, frames done in time. And so the business owner asked me, would you be willing to work overtime like at night or whatever? And I remember sometimes, you know, we'd go in there at... 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning, and we work right to, to 5 or whatever. And the one guy that this one guy was working with me, man, he just, it was hard for him to work when the boss wasn't there. And I found myself constantly saying, okay, look, you need to do this. You need constantly being on him. You know, he's over there, he's doing stuff, or he's kind of making up excuses while he's going to the bathroom, or I got to get something to eat or whatever. And I mean, if he worked 15 minutes out of an hour, uh, I'd be surprised. But I remember just being so irritated at this guy. And finally, I just told the owner, I said, you know, just don't even have him work there anymore at night because he, he doesn't do any good. It's just more of a distraction for me. But I remember just working and just getting the stuff done, even though nobody was there. And see, uh, somebody who is deceptive in their work practices doesn't mean that they're, you know, um, it's kind of a, a, an outgrowth of their laziness. They earn deceptive wages. And that, that term there, wicked, is not the common Hebrew term, meaning evil or sinful. That's not what it means. Instead, it means criminal. It means criminal. The deceiver is one who earns his wages by criminal means, by deceptive means. It's the guy that, you know, punches in the, the clock even though they know they're not going to work for another hour or whatever and deceptively puts time down. The deceiver is the one who earns his wage by deceptive means. He uses phrases like this. Well, you know, come on, no one will ever know. Or you know what, this company's so rich, they're not going to miss it. Or, you know what, as long as I've been here, as hard as I've worked, you know what, they owe it to me. See, and what he overlooks is the reality mentioned in Proverbs 10.2. It says, ill-gotten gain does not profit. But righteousness delivers from death. And the three characteristics of a deceiver named in this book, first of all, he appears to have a life of ease, but really, it's an empty life without any kind of purpose. You can see that in the verses mentioned there. He appears to have a life of ease. Secondly, he may have initial pleasure, but the end is bitter and hard to bear. In other words, sooner or later, these deceptive practices are going to catch up with him. Or he lacks a sense of loyalty. We see that in uh, Proverbs 25, verse 19. It says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. I don't know if you've ever had a bad tooth or a foot out of joint, but I imagine it's not very pleasant. Well, that's what the deceptive person is, is, is like. It's just, it's just not, a, not a, a good person to be around. And then thirdly, we see here the greedy in Proverbs 28, 22. And we've all dealt with people like this. 
Proverbs 28.22 says this, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. See, where the sluggard is slothful and the deceitful person is dishonest, the greedy man is this kind of get-rich-quick guy. Everything focuses around that. Everything focuses toward his retirement. All I want to do is retire. He's got to get to retirement. His lines are this. When I make my first million, then I'll back off. Or money is everything. Or work is my God. I've actually heard people say that. Proverbs says this. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. The picture here is not simply a man on the run to accumulate wealth. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with working hard and being wealthy. That's not what he's saying. But the one who is disquieted, disturbed, and worried about all this, here are the characteristics. He tries to find his security in money. Proverbs 11.28. I mean... This is very practical today. We, we, we can't find our security in money. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteousness will flourish like foliage, especially today. I mean, with this, the, the economy the way it is, and I mean, the people that have taken hits on their IRAs and their retirements and all this stuff, I mean, people have lost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Can you imagine if your trust was in that? If that's all you live for? I mean, I know even retired police officers that, you know, are saying, yeah, I lost another 20 grand in my retirement fund. I mean, it's just kind of shrinking quickly. And they're at a point where they're supposed to be enjoying life. <laughs> so he sees his security in money, but he, he does not slow down once riches come to him. I mean, we live in a capitalistic nation. At least it still is, hopefully. Things may be changing, we don't know, but hopefully not. You know, and if you can earn a lot of money, that's great. That's, that's God's blessing upon you. He gave the ability for you to do that. But there comes a point in time where you have to look at that and say, okay, you know, put this in perspective. In Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not overwork to be rich, because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I mean, that's kind of a, a hard, hard lesson for folks to learn. They're constantly chasing after wealth, constantly chasing after riches. I think of some of these guys who have more money than they could ever even imagine to spend. And yet, they're still driven, and they're still driving, and they're, they're probably sacrificing their family and marriage and everything just to get to the next level, whatever the level is, even though they're at the top. They're still not satisfied. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with working hard and getting paid for it, and, and if you're an inventor and you invent something and you make lots of money, hey, praise God, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But there comes a point when we have to put these things into perspective. So they don't stop even though they have all the riches they need. Um, also, this person is classified in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, as being extremely selfish. 
extremely selfish. And it's funny because you read some bios of some of these guys, these CEOs of these companies that are doing very well and they just make hand over fist money. I mean, that's, you know, that's all they do. And yet, you know, when you talk to them, <laughs> they're very stingy people. Not that they don't give the charity, and I'm sure they do their part. I'm not saying that. But just something about the personality. They just seem very stingy. Um, fourthly, he ends up getting burned, basically, because of his own greed. That's what happens. Greed turns around and bites him. In Proverbs 28, verses 19 to 20, it says this, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows... Uh, Frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. In other words, there's nothing wrong with being rich, like I said, but you have to keep things in perspective. You have to understand that that's not all there is to life. And yet that's how the world makes us think. I play a little game once in a while, thinking, gee, if I had, and you fill in the amount, you know, $200 $200 million. What would I do with it? $200 million. Can you imagine? And, you know, you play this little game in your head. Wow, you know, I definitely give some. So you start, you know. I, one day I actually got out a pad and I started writing stuff down, you know. I mean, I went through that $200 million like that. I mean, there was nothing left. And I was like, wow, that's really not a lot of money. And it wasn't like I was spending it all myself. I was buying people houses. And, you know, I know this guy needs a house. Well, they can use a car. You know, doing all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, you know, finances, money is fleeting. It just is. And so we can't put our trust in it. I mean, if God's blessed you in that way, praise God. Some people are are very blessed to be able to manage finances and have all the things. And you know what? That's great. And some people aren't. And that's just the way life is. But I just thank God that, you know, I remember when the whole stock market thing crashed this last time and people lost all this money. I remember turning to my wife saying, well, there, there is a benefit about not having a lot of money in there. I mean, we, we don't have nothing to worry about, right? So, in a way, you know, it's kind of a free living life. Not that I wouldn't want some money in there and at least be able to have the opportunity to do something like that, but you know what? I mean, that's in God's time. So, we have to stop and we have to question. Hopefully, we don't fit into one of these categories. You know, hopefully we're not a, 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 a greedy person. Hopefully, you know, we don't, aren't lazy. We aren't deceptive in our practices. Because people are watching us. As believers, people are watching us. And we have to be very careful about that. Um, sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to visualize Bible characters involved in an occupation. I mean, it's just hard for us to understand that we tend to lose sight of their humanness because we were so focused on the spiritual side of things. But you know what? There's people in the Bible that basically, you know, they they work just like everybody else worked. And so we want to spend some time looking at some positive, the right kind of workers that we see throughout the book of Proverbs. And hopefully these will represent us as, as believers. But un- unfortunately, a lot of Christians fall into the first three categories. But let's look at the, the three kinds of right workers, the good workers. 
Um, it says, first of all, in Proverbs 10, 4, that there's such a thing as somebody who is diligent in his work. He's diligent. He's not obsessed. He's not over the mark, but he's diligent. He wants to get the job done, and he wants to do it in the right way. That's a very good characteristic. It says in Proverbs 10.4, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent what makes rich. Solomon put it this way, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of a diligent makes it rich. Another translation reads it that way, makes him rich. Uh, the term diligent there is important to understand for us. It comes from the verb that means to sharpen or uh, to cut. That's what it means. And put it into practical thinking here, it conveys the idea of the worker who is decisive. He's sharp in his actions. He's disciplined. He knows what he's supposed to do and he does it. The diligent person is the one who can cut through all the, the fog of laziness and sharpen him or herself with hard, disciplined decisions. And sometimes that doesn't come easy. I know for myself, sometimes it's a struggle during the week to sit myself in a chair and study what I'm supposed to be studying. This is difficult. Not that I don't enjoy it. I love it. But, you know, the way I think, you know, I'll sit down for five minutes and then I'm thinking, oh, wait, you know, something in the fellowship hall that I need to do or there's something downstairs. You know, then I find myself wandering off. It's like, wait a minute. You know, I, I got to get this thing done for Sunday. You know, and it's Wednesday, and I, I still don't have an outline. I still don't have, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's a struggle sometimes. Whereas other people, boy, that's, you know, that just comes as a, a natural thing for them. Everything else gets left by the wayside, and they're, they're able to focus like a laser beam. Some people can do that very easily. Some people can't. A lot of it has to do with your personality. A lot of it has to do with your giftings and things like that. But there's certain characteristics here about this diligent person. First of all, he's a person of determination and discipline. He's a person of determination and discipline. He has to be, to be diligent. Also, in, in 12.27, it says that he's alert. He's keen. 12.27 says, The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. He's alert. He's keen. He uses his resources properly. He knows what he's doing. 1423, it even talks about his mo being motivated. He's motivated. Have you ever worked with somebody who's just unmotivated? Who's just, they don't care? You know, maybe you had a, a study group or you had a, a, a work group and you had to get a thing done and you have one member that's just like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. You know, uh, that's so... It's, it's so frustrating, I think, to be, be part of that um, and, and see that, how it drags the whole group down. That kind of person, this kind of person who is, is, is diligent, um, enjoys several benefits. Money will care for itself. Promotions and raises will regularly occur because they're diligent in their job. Inner satisfaction will accompany his work. He's not unsatisfied with his job. He enjoys it. So the Bible speaks about that. Are we diligent in our work? And it doesn't just have to be our work at, at, for pay. You know, maybe you're retired, and you know, I, don't, I don't think there's any retirement for Christians in the ministry. So at some point, you're still ministering to people. Are you doing that with diligence? We're not just talking about 
punching the time clock here. We're talking about our attitude toward any kind of ministry or work or whatever it might be. Also, the second thing here is the thoughtful worker. The thoughtful worker. Somebody who's thoughtful about his work. Um, it says, a righteous man in 12.2, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. It's interesting that Solomon presents this individual who is perhaps a thoughtful boss as even having concern for the life of an animal used in his work. That's the kind of concern that he has. If you're employing employees, are you concerned about your employees? You take care of your employees. That's a very important characteristic, to be thoughtful. Characteristics are he is genuinely concerned about the lives of those who work both over and under him. He has insight, understanding, and discernment concerning these things. In Proverbs 27, 18, it says, one of the benefits of the thoughtful worker enjoyed, enjoys this. It says, he who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. See, this employee is somebody who's thoughtful, and he'll enjoy the benefits of his own work, and he's going to eat of the fruit that he's tending. And he'll derive some personal benefit from the work, other than just a paycheck. Because God has called him to do it. So he's thoughtful about his work. And then thirdly, the skillful. In Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine, it says this, Do you see a, skill, a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. In other words, the person who characteristics of a skillful man or that he's able to do his job efficiently and with great expertise. They're skillful at their work. He's capable of working in haste without violating competence. I mean, that's the kind of characteristics you like to have in a cardiac doctor, right? I mean, I didn't know this guy. Mbika didn't know this guy. Came recommended. And after her angiogram, the first cardiac doctor said, ah, I don't know if stints are going to be an option because you've got this one blockage in this one place. could be dicey with the stints. I think you're looking at open-heart surgery, but I've got to talk to the guy that does the stints before. He's the expert. We'll talk to him first. And he came back in an hour and he said, he said it's no problem. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you just said it was kind of difficult. Now you're telling me there's no problem. Which is it? As we walk through this process of talking to the surgeon and talking to the guy that does the stents, I mean, it became very clear to us it's a no-brainer. You go home the next day with the stents, or you stay in the hospital for five to seven days, and you have three to five, six months recovery. I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer. But both the heart surgeon and the, 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 the cardiac doctor who did the, the stints, were very skillful. And we knew that he was capable of doing his job well and efficiently. I mean, I thought this would be like a two, three-hour operation. I mean, 40 minutes, she's back in the room. Amazing. Nurse is saying, yeah, he works real quick. He works real quick. You know, that, we, we want somebody that's skillful. 
And we want to be skillful. When we, when we know what God has called us to do, and we're not just talking ministry, we're talking secular work, we're talk, but we know when we're in God's will, and whatever it might be, whether it's a software company, or a pharmaceutical company, or a roofing company, or a, a janitorial service, whatever it might be, when we know that that's what God has called us to, we want to do it with diligence. We want to do it skillfully. We want to do it in the, with the right kind of attitude. Because that, that job or that career or that business, or whatever it is, it's really a blessing from God to us. I mean, as hard as it is sometimes to get motivated in your job or your work or whatever, do you ever stop and just say, you know what? I thank God I have a job. Especially especially today in this environment we're living in. And we need to remind ourselves sometimes that when it comes to our job, is it a, ah, got to go to work? And are we living for the day when we don't have to go to work? Is that all we're living for? Or are we saying, you know what, for whatever reason, God has me here in this company, and he's got me here for a specific reason. And I know I'm a Christian, and I know I can influence those around me. And God, you just make it happen. And I want to be the best worker I can be. Because I don't want them ever to point their finger at me and say, oh, that's one of those guys that goes to church. We see him reading his Bible 24-7 almost. He doesn't get anything done. You know, that's not the kind of presentation we need to be giving to a lost and dying world. We need to be excited. We need to be engaged and we need to be expecting God to do great things through, through us as we work there. The world is in desperate need of seeing a Christian who is willing to do honest, hard, skilled work day in and day out. Skill, efficiency, discipline, thoughtfulness, all those things are things that people should see in us. Which kind of worker are you? Are you a sluggard, a deceiver, or greedy? Or are you diligent, thoughtful, or skillful? You really need to go before God. You need to ask God, you know, show me. Show me where I fit in this. Because I would definitely want to do my best for you. We know that people... We all probably know people who've worked their fingers to the bone all their life been wound up dirt poor. Some of that has to do with money management. Some of it has to do with just the way life, what life dishes them out. But just in way of closing, I think God wants to bless you in your job. I really do. In your employment. And first of all, I think for him to do that, you have to stop and you have to fine-tune your own motives. You have to stop and ask yourself, why do you work? Why do you do the job you do? Is it just because of the pay? Is that the only reason? Because money alone is never a sufficient motivation to do any work. <laughs> if it's just for the paycheck, you might want to stop and say, maybe I'm not in the right profession. Think about it with even professional sports. You know, those guys who are very successful in what they do, they're not doing it just for the paycheck. Trust me. They're doing it because they love the sport. 
whether it's Michael Jordan or Cal Ripton or any of those guys, Elway, in their time, I mean, the money they made was phenomenal. But you know what? They went out there every day because they loved the sport. Your job's an opportunity to serve God. Work's not a curse. It's really a blessing. It's not a waste of time. Also, make a commitment to quality. Make a commitment to quality. Just early on in your, in your employment, just say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can. And if you own a business, I'm going to do the best I can or for my employees or for my customers, whatever it might be, because people are watching. And God will bless you as a result of that. He really will. Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, said this, if you want a big company tomorrow, you have to start acting like a big company today. And you know what? That's true. That applies to anything in life, really. If you want a promotion tomorrow, you have to start earning it today. If you want to be a success tomorrow, you have to start working toward that today. In the Japanese world, they have a phrase, and a word that they use in business and there's really no English equivalent to this phrase that they use. Basically, the word can be best translated by the phrase constant and continual improvement. Constant and continual improvement. And we're talking about our jobs today. We're talking about work. But you know what? That applies to our spiritual lives too, doesn't it? Are we at the same place we were a year ago in our spiritual walk? Are we at the same place... Just kind of putting in the time? Or is God showing us new things? Is God moving us along toward his son more and more and more? And then also just strive for diligence. Strive for diligence. Be willing to do mundane things that you may not think have any effect day in and day out, but they're necessary for you to do. Nobody's noticing, but you know what? You're being faithful. I read a story this past week. Sometimes, you know, you're working, you think, oh, the boss doesn't notice what I do. And I, and I read this story the, the, the past week about a hands-on manager in an office of about 20 people. And his boss works in the same office, but he doesn't interact much with the employees at all. And the story went on. It says, when they were considered considering giving someone in the office a promotion, my friend recommended one of his workers. And his boss turned to him and said, are you kidding me? Her? She's the last person I would promote. And my friend said, well, she does excellent work. What are you talking about? She's, I mean, she's top in her field. And his boss said, all as I know, she comes in 10 minutes late every day carrying a McDonald's sack. Not only is she late, but she expects to be paid while she eats her breakfast. See, unfortunately, the only thing that boss saw was that little sliver of time when that girl came into the office 10 minutes late with her. But it had an impact, far-reaching impact, on her ability to be promoted within that company, even though she was in top in her field and was really helping the company a lot. All the boss saw was that one thing. You want God to bless you in your job? Then be diligent. Be consistent. Pay attention to every detail. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 21, when you are faithful in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. God wants to bless us in our jobs. He wants to allow us to enjoy them. It doesn't have to be a drudgery. It should be something that we look forward to each and every day. Let's close in a word of prayer and ask God to prepare our hearts for our communion time this morning. Father, we thank you for our jobs, whatever they may be. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us a way to put food on the table, to put a clothes on our back, to put a roof over our heads. And Father, that involves work. And sometimes that work can become tedious, that work can just become draining, that work can become overwhelming. And Lord, that's why your word says so much about it, that we have to put it in the right perspective. We have to keep it in the right priority. That we can't have it too high, but we can't have it too low. We have to really go to you and ask you for wisdom. And that doesn't matter whether we're accepting a promotion at work. We should be able to come to you and think through it. Well, what is this going to require? Is this going to require me gone? Five days away from my family every week? Is that a good thing? Would that something that God would bless you with that would potentially harm your family just to make more money? We have to filter everything through that because things aren't always what they seem to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the right attitude toward our jobs, toward our work, toward our ministries. Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit, that people would sense in us a desire to serve not just our boss or whoever we work for, but that we would be doing it for you. And Lord, those who own businesses and those who are supervisors, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would give them real wisdom and and real discernment as they deal and interact with their employees and with personnel. Lord, that they would always do the honoring and right thing in your eyes, not just the popular thing. And Father, that you would bless them uh, in their positions in just a, a real way. And Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.